the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. How many of you like to wait? Waiting for the dentist, waiting for the doctor, waiting in line, waiting for the web page to load, waiting for your meals to arrive at the restaurant. Being fast is big business in our world today. Fast delivery through Amazon, fast food, fast internet and cell service. Don't make me wait. Make it short and sweet and to the point. Whether all that's good or bad, I'll let you decide. Last week, the parable that Jesus told us talked about waiting, waiting for the day of our Lord's return. Many fear that day of judgment. In fact, I was sitting in the hospital this past week and visiting with my daughter, and she received a text from a friend of hers who was Roman Catholic, and her priest had been talking about the end days, and she was scared to death. She said, Dad, what do I say to her? And I said, for us Christians, it's a day of joy, a day that we wait for and anticipate when Jesus will come again and make all things new again. But here's the question, what do we do until we wait? Christianity just isn't about getting into heaven, it's about life here now too. That's what Jesus' parable is really all about today. This is an important parable to get right because there are two dangerous ditches to fall in when it comes to this parable. And you don't want to fall on either side of it, but stay on the road of orthodoxy or right doctrine. So the ditch on the one side of the road is that you have to do certain things in order to be saved. That's a ditch on one side. That your Christian life now is about earning your way into heaven, like maybe those first two servants in the peril seem to do. This is what we call works righteous ditch. All that matters, all the focus is what you do on your goodness, on your good works, on your church attendance, on your serving, on your giving, doing enough to get into heaven. We don't want to fall into that ditch, and we Lutherans usually are pretty good at avoiding that ditch most of the time, except when we think we're on a little higher pecking order because we come to church more than the other person or give more than the other one or show up and do more, that somehow because of these things, God should be more pleased with me. So maybe we're not all the way at the bottom of that ditch, but we slip there, don't we? But the ditch on the other side of the road is just as bad. That is a ditch that we call the fancy word for you, antinomian ditch or anti-law ditch, which thinks that what I do doesn't really matter at all. 
I can do whatever I want. I can sin. I can do as much as I want because all that really matters at the end of the day is that you believe in Jesus, you will be forgiven, and it's all good. That's maybe the side of the road we Lutherans tend to slip into a little bit more. The prophet Zephaniah has some words about that this morning, and they weren't very pleasant. Both of these errors come by thinking that Christianity is all about getting to heaven, and so you either have to be obsessed about doing enough to get yourself there, or you can live a footloose, fancy-free, carefree life, and you're already there. But notice in both of these pictures that I portray to you, these errors, these ditches, where's Jesus? He's not really all that important. It's all focused on me and what I have to do or don't have to do. Which is really quite a minimalistic view of the Christian life. What is the least that I have to do to get by? The thinking is kind of like this. How much dinner do I have to eat to get dessert? Are you part of the clean plate club? Exactly how clean do I have to get my room? How long does that term paper really have to be? Exactly how much do I have to do to get the promotion? How much do I have to do to get to heaven? Because I certainly want to make sure I don't do more than I have to do. Is that what the Christian life is all about, really? Is that it? Or is it that it's my life and I want to do as I want, so let me get this out of the way? Again, where's Jesus in all of this? Instead, think about this parable that Jesus told again. What do we know about the three servants, and what was the difference between the first two and the third? Well, it seems to be this. The first had a completely, the first two had a completely different view of their master than the third. The third one thought that the master was a tough guy, reaping where he did not sow and gathering where he scattered no seed, and so someone to be petrified of. But while that is his opinion of his master, we don't know that to be true. In fact, it seems by his actions that the master is really quite the opposite of that. He freely gives to his servants a whole ton of money. Even one talent was the equivalent of 20 years' wages for a working man. And the first two servants don't seem concerned about what he will think when they return, if he expected an even greater return on the investment than they got. You get the impression from the parable that they joyfully came before the master and they were glad he was back and he seems equally pleased with both of them and then doesn't just take what they had earned, but he gives them more. Was he really stingy? Hard? It doesn't seem so. And so it was their knowledge of the master that made all the difference in how they lived, waiting for him to return. So it is for you and me. Knowing Jesus, your master, makes a difference. And it is reflected in how we live now. If you live in fear of punishment that says something about what, that says something about what you believe about God, if you live thinking you have to earn his love in life, that is saying something too. 
If you think you can selfishly take advantage of his love and forgiveness, sinning as much as we want, well, that speaks volumes too. As does living in joy and confidence of being a child of God. Knowing that our Father in heaven, our Savior, and what he is like and who he is makes all the difference in the world. So let's consider our Father. What kind of God is he really? He's a giving God. All that we have is from our Father's hands. If he didn't give it, we wouldn't have it. To some he gives more, to some he gives less, as in the parable. But this too is good because he gives what he does because he knows you and me. Love does not treat everyone the same, but each person uniquely and individually. He gives you what you need, but not more than what you can handle. And never because you deserve it. As we confess in the Catechism, all this he does out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. It's all gift. Because what we deserve from God is this. Nothing. No gifts, no kindness, no consideration, no life, only death. Because of our sin. Because we don't just slip into those ditches, do we? We sprint into those ditches and live as if God, our generous giving God, did not matter and I mattered most. But then we find more out about our giving God. That to us, he has not only given all that we have, he gives us his son. He does, not turn us away, he does not turn away from our sin, but gives us even more. And so Jesus came and gave his life for yours and mine and the world on the cross to pull us out of the ditch, to cleanse us and set us on the road again, to take all of the nasty stuff we heard from Zephaniah, all the wrath, all the distress, all the ruin, all the devastation, all the darkness and gloom and anguish and weeping and gnashing of teeth that is by right ours. And he gives you his son and places it on him. And if that's not enough, he gives us even more. For God gives you the Spirit, and with His Spirit, the gift of faith, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of resurrection and life eternal, that as His children, we would be set free to live and enjoy all the gifts that God has given to us in the places where He has put us. Not selfishly, or as if there were no God, or that God was hard and demanding. No, but to care and to give, and to love, and to serve, and to have mercy and kindness on one another, not withholding forgiveness. Think of it if your Heavenly Father held back from you this morning. And living in such faith and joy, being not like those first two servants, being like those first two servants, joyful when our Lord returns, knowing that as his children, he is pleased with that. So put Jesus in the center of your life. It will affect how you live. It puts everything into perspective. 
both our promised life in eternity and our life here and now, which your Father wants you to enjoy. Not in fear or in captivity and sin, but to love and to be free from sin. Because what we do matters. How we live matters. Not to get anything from God. He's already given us everything. Because our neighbors need us. Your children need you. Your parents need you. Your spouse needs you. Your co-workers and classmates need you. Your friends need you because how you live tells the world what you believe about your father and what he is like. And so your father gives to you. Not that you withhold generosity, but that you give it. So that when our brother returns, we will meet him with the faith that you live now and enter into the joy that we've already received, the joy of his forgiveness, the joy of his freedom, the joy as you enter to see your Savior already now, here to give you his body and blood, to strengthen your faith and forgive your sins so that you might love your neighbor, not because of what you did or left undone, but because of what Christ has done for you. And in that last day, he will say to you, Oh, welcome, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith, through Christ Jesus, to life everlasting. Amen.